This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 13th, episode 1518. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Well, welcome back, everybody, and welcome back, Karen, to the second Tuesday of your month. Well, good morning. It's nice to be here. So excited when you come in because you always have such fantastic stories. I let to, I get to live adventures vicariously through you. Yes, and we've got a bunch to talk about today. Dang, tell me, tell me. The Mongol Derby. We have coming up all three of the first place winners. They tied for first place. And we're going to talk with all three of them and hear about their adventure. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so cool. Can't wait. Yes. Yeah, and then we we have a little bit of uh, a little chat with Debbie Willis, Willis or Debbie Deb, Debbie Wills, who is yes. a uh, a crewer for Endurance Ride. And I I get to find out how crewing really happens. I'm going to be very interested in that. Yes, yes, it's really cool when you have a crew as a rider because that's kind of a luxury for a lot of us. Really, I thought that was I thought you were like required to have a crew. No, you know, like. On a ride like Tevis, you almost it's almost an, a necessity. But for a lot of rides, most of the rides I do, I don't have a crew. I'm oh, on my I'm on my own. And uh, so that's how you learn to be really efficient and get everything done ahead of time and be as prepared as possible as you can. And so, but having someone that can crew for you and bring your stuff and set it up is just an awesome, you know, kind of a cool privilege. To, to have that. And we often don't. Huh. So get out there and volunteer people. Oh, yes, sorry. but we, we don't <laughs> let that stop us. If we don't have a crew, we still go and do it anyway. <laughs> well, that's really cool. What adventures have you been on in your rides with or without crews recently, young lady? Well, I did the Eastern High Sierra Classic 50, which is down by Twin Lakes in the Sierras in California. I rode Chief and uh, my junior who's now 11, rode bow. It was a really tough ride this year. We finished 33rd and 34th out of 60 riders. Um, our ride time was like nine hours and 55 minutes. So once you add in our hold times, we were only like 35 minutes ahead of the cutoff time. So almost half of the field came in in the last half hour of the wow. of the 12-hour ride time. So it was... It was a really tough ride this year. I think they're going to have to make some changes to it. Um, well, what what made it harder? You know, uh, they changed a couple of the climbs, 
And, um, and, and the, the funny part was, is they thought that that those changes would make it easier. The thing they didn't tell us is that they put in other climbs instead or other trail instead that was more difficult or more challenging. <laughs> so they changed the route. From last a little, time. a little bit, yes. And they put us. We we did some rough trail down the side of a steep mountain where it wasn't really a trail. We were just sort of surfing downhill on pine cones Ooh. and and trying to follow the markings, which you know a lot of people had difficulty with, and so that slowed you down. Um, versus the old way, which was a you know an obvious trail, so it wasn't any trouble following it or finding it. And so most of the trail was the same and it's always been a challenging hard ride. Um, so, um, you, you know, it wasn't really a lot different than what I expected it to be. Cause I'm used to that, right. That was my first endurance ride 21 years oh, ago. Really? How cool. Yeah. Now typically yeah. at a ride, cause these endurance rides tend to, once they get one established, it tends to stay around for a while. Um, in, for example, in the eventing business, big events, once they get a route established, the route doesn't change much. The direction you take the route, counterclockwise or clockwise, and what uh -huh. jumps and where they are on that route will change. In endurance riding, do they change the route very often or is it oh. pretty much the same? It, you know, it just depends on the course. Like take Tevis, for example. Over the years, it's had many different trail changes along its hundred miles of trail, mainly because they've had to due to development or, uh, you know, trail damage or, or other reasons like that, where they need to reroute or change things a little bit. Um, and so a lot of rides will do that. You know, some ride managers are out there working really hard each year to improve their trails and make them better, you know, you know, more enjoyable to ride. And so they will purposely go and change sections to make it just a nicer ride, you know, better footing in some spots or something like that. And, and so, you know, a lot of the rides are an ongoing process where, where um, the management's trying to make them better year after year. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and in this case, it made it's it just a, a more strenuous die. Now you said that, uh, the change in the in the route slowed everybody down a little bit. Now, was it a case of you had to slow down because of that change in terrain, or was it a case that you had to go slower um, because it was more uh, stressful physically for the horse that you had to go slower in order to in order to stay within your soundness and recovery parameters? Yes, a little bit of of both. Mm -hmm. From from what I was told at the the last vet check, a lot of the horses were coming in with like 80 pulses and they were bouncing around. And so, you know, I'm a pretty conservative rider. So some of that newer stuff that was really steep on the downhill that was rough, um, you know, because the horses were sinking pretty deep in it. Um, I got off and my junior got off on foot and we led down it. And, and so we kind of took it easy. So when my horses came into the vet checks, they were, you know, um, coming right down and I didn't have any trouble um, like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but that kind of train is more difficult on the horses because they're having to work a little harder, you know, get their rears, rear ends really underneath them to, to negotiate that mm -hmm. train and get down through it, um, you know, and not get hurt because it was rough, you know, it's rough. It's inside of a forest. So there's branches all along the way and pine cones and, um, and it's steep, very steep. And, 
if, you know, it was really hard to follow some of the ribbons because it was winding, you know, like a switchback, mm -hmm. but it wasn't an established trail. And so a lot of the riders were going 10, 20, 30 feet past a turn because they just didn't see it or because riders in front of them had missed it and gone straight. So now you're following the tracks of the other <laughs> don't people. Don't follow the guy who's lost. Yeah, yes, don't follow the tracks. So you got to learn to really pay attention. And so, oh, and then the other cool thing on this ride is um, my junior's younger sister, who's seven, did the 30-mile LD ride on this At ride. seven? And she's seven and wow. it was her first ARC ride. She finished and not only did she finish, but because there were like four riders in front of them that kept going really fast and they would miss the turns and they ended up getting lost. And so um, the, the junior and her sponsor both finished in first place. Wow. Now, what kind of a horse does a seven-year-old ride on a 30-mile ride? An endurance horse. An, uh, an Arab. Of her legs won't come past the middle of his tummy. Oh, it's a small horse. It was a smaller <laughs> horse. No, she did great. She she had a wow. great time. That's and so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's she, so I think cool. she, she had a good time. So now she there's another new little endurance rider in the making. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now another question because this you're you're describing this ride that you went on um, is creating all kinds of questions. As you go through these rides, is it common practice to have to change your horse's footwear in order to navigate terrain in different parts of the course? Or is it usually a case of um, put on what you think you're going to need to use the same thing throughout? Um, that's usually what I do because I use Renegades and... Um we used them on both horses on this ride. And this was a technical ride. We were going over boulders, boulder hopping rocks, um, water crossings. Some were fairly deep water crossings. Um, my feet got wet in the wow. stirrups and uh, going over where the, uh, in the water were boulders and rocks. And so that's quite a test, you know, to the boots that, um, they, and I've been riding in Renegades for many, many years on this ride. No problem. They work great. And um, and the junior, she knows how to put them on and take them off. She does a great job with that. And so, uh, you know, you just check them. We did clean them out at the lunch hour hold because of all the water crossings and the sand. I mean, it's just quite a mix of trail there. It's, mm -hmm. You go from... You know, the water crossings, the rocks, the boulders, some sand, um, you know, forest footing. It's just a, a just almost everything you can you can think of that we ride through. And and so we did take the boots off just to make sure that um, that they were clean underneath inside and um, put them back on and and went on our way and finished the ride with them. And they worked great. Yeah, you, and you definitely want hoof protection on a ride like that because of all the rocks. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. the ones in the water. That could get really dicey. Right. And, you, you know, and we need good, um, you know, shoes or boots on us, too, because we did a lot of the downhill with the boulders and stuff. And it doesn't take much of, you know, bumping your feet into those before you end up with, you know, your feet getting you're gonna, sore. You're going to be late. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, you need good tread on your own feet. So... Um, yeah, as it turned out, I was gonna, um, originally I was going to ride 
um, Bo the first day and Chief on the second day of the ride. And then my junior was going to ride another horse. It ended up with a swollen eyelid. So then, so then we changed things and we ended up putting her on Bo and I rode Chief. And so they both got to go together. And so I was the night before, you know, kind of, um, you know, frantically trying to find enough size two renegades because I Bo needs four and Chief needs two for his fronts. So I needed six size two renegades with good tread because I didn't want to take some of my half worn out boots on this ride. I wanted really <laughs> good tread, you know. And so we managed, we got it together and, and I had good boots with good tread. Uh, for that ride. So that is one thing you do want to watch for on a ride like that. You know, there's a lot of rides where it doesn't really matter. You can wear boots that you can almost, that are so worn through, you can almost see through them, you know? Yeah. The cords are showing like old tires. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. But not on this ride. You want to have good, you know, nice, good tread, you you know, and, uh, and it worked, you know, we got through the ride, both horses finished sound and came through in really good shape, which is great because they're, you know, 18 and 21 years old. So, It's always exciting for me when they can go and do one of the toughest rides in the region and come through in, in really good shape like they did. And and how many days was it until Bo was back to pulling apart your barn? About three. It was okay. about three. He's yeah. broken a carabiner. He undid the carabiner, bent it, broke it in two pieces. Um, he's torn down the rain gutter um, like twice this week because I keep putting it up because Dave made it so that it's like, you know, like a Lego set for him where it can come apart and go back together. (laughs) Uh, uh, He thinks that's genuinely his toy. He does. He does. He gets, he gets bored really, really quickly. And before I could get another carabiner on that one stall door, I look out, was it last night or night before last? And there are the horses grazing on the back lawn. There you go. See, you know, because I didn't get the new carabiner or, or another clip put back on that stall door in time. <laughs> so he's like, you know, you're like two minutes late. So I'm going to let I'm us out and we're going to we're going to go eat grass. Because... Go eat a little bit of grass. Well, there you go. Now, no. funny. Y- you had a great time. Things went smoothly for you. Little no drama. But that's not what's going on at the ARTC, is it? ARC. No, there recently there's been a protest that has kind of divided a lot of the membership and caused a, a big stir. What happened originally, there was a rider and he got kind of in a scuffle with another rider. Um, you know, so then a protest was filed. And then uh the protest and grievance committee passed down a um, you know, a decision on the penalty, which a lot of people thought was a little bit too severe for the first time infraction while others didn't of course you know there's always there's two always sides of opinion, yeah. there's always a difference of opinion and so then uh, an appeal was filed and the board just recently met in august to go over it and apparently they did um make a little bit of change from what i understand and that uh c- because originally what happened is AERC took away several rides and best conditions that this rider had earned in between from when the, um, the, you know, the scuffle happened and then the protest was decided. And so they had taken away several of those rides and it turns out that they really 
don't have the authority to do that. So those rides and best conditions have been reinstated on, on this writer's record. And they were barring him from participating in any rides for um, like a full year from when the protest results came out, which that was like several months after the event happened. And so that was, you know, quite a long time. And so I think what they came up with is now he's banned through the end of this ride season. So he'll be able to start riding in the new ride season. And they've also allowed it so that he and his wife can go and attend rides to help out. Because originally, I guess when AARC bans somebody from riding, they're not even allowed to go to a ride, even if mm -hmm. they're not riding. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, because this person helps out so much, and so many people depend on his help in order to run these rides, that he is now allowed to, to attend the rides if he wants to. And so they, they did try to come up with a compromise. They're, uh, they're working on improving following the procedures that they need to follow within their committees and with the board. And from some of the people I've talked to within the AARC, they're trying really hard to move forward with this and to be more fair to the members and to, you know, set up procedures that will be followed and, you know, try to make things, you know, there, some of them are really trying hard to do what's right and, and make things better. And well, nobody you know, wants a surprise, so, right? Uh, it sounds right. like I don't, I, again, I'm a newbie. I'm not, I'm a neophyte when it comes to endurance writing, this kind of thing where there's kerfuffles where somebody gets into, into trouble for it. That doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> it happens all the time. Oh, really? <laughs> really? That, that's why That's why I think some of us were surprised at, at what the uh, penalty was because we've seen far worse than that happen at a ride with nothing ever happening. Oh. I mean, you, you know, and that's the thing with the, the board wants everybody to feel safe that there's, you know, no threat of violence or you, you know, any no kind of... No fisticuffs of the endurance ride, please. It, exactly. And and so I think maybe this, hopefully, and it, it will turn out to be in a good way, that people will be a little bit more responsible in their behavior and show a little bit better etiquette and be able to deal with their, you know, anger issues when they have a, a problem with another rider and, and realize that, you know, if, if you know, if you're going to act like a jerk then you're going to have a penalty applied. And, you know, and in this case, nobody was denying that the, the person that received the penalty wasn't wrong. He was wrong in what he did. And he did deserve some sort of penalty. It's just, you know, that's where then the debate comes in. Because like you just brought up, does this happen? Yeah, this kind of thing. I've seen actually people in fistfights at rides oh over, over the years. It's, it's the dark underbelly of endurance riding. Oh, I, I, <laughs> you know, it's just any kind of group of people and doing events, you're going to have some controversies at times and people that don't get along or people when they're competitive or are going to get into little disagreements. And I think, you know, for the most part, you know, everybody does you know, get along and they work out their differences without it having to erupt into any kind of, you know, a fisticuffs or an emotional does, does one guy you know, disturbance. Does, does one rider slap the other rider with a white glove and then it's uh, pistols at dawn? <laughs> Could be. 
I mean, you know, I've seen people throw buckets at each other. Oh I my mean, gosh. Silly. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Let's I, all be adult here. Exactly. And so, you know, hopefully by bringing this up, we will, you know, get or cause people to think twice before they act and to be responsible. And, and, you know, cause most of us go to rides to have fun and we're spending time with our friends and our family. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to have to be exposed to, you know, stuff like this happening or especially to the, the junior riders that are there either. Right, they right. sure don't need to see that. Yeah. But on the other hand, it sure gives us stuff to talk about at the beginning of the show every month. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does. <laughs> Think of it that way, people. If you are having an issue and you want to want to go off the deep end and be on uh, World's Dumbest on the TV show, we're going to talk about you during the insurance <laughs> program. You will be the topic of conversation. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, that's a lot of fun. Well, our endurance tip, which usually comes up in the show about this time, that's going to happen a little bit later today because Debbie's going to help us out with uh, how to be a good, a good crew. Are you a crewer? Is that what they're officially called? A crew, yes. How to be a good crew person. A good crew person. And I'm going to ask all kinds of silly questions because I'm a neophyte and I don't really understand how it's going. Uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to head right on over to the Distance Depot and hear about the product of the month. Good morning and welcome to the show, Kristen. How are you today? I'm great, Karen. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're going to talk about some of your biothane products, the beta biothane and some of your custom tack that you make. So um, for the listeners that don't know what biothane is, can you give us a little bit of a description? Sure. Um, biothane, for those that aren't familiar, has been on the market for over 30 years. Um, it was very widely used um, in harness and still is today. However, it's much more popular in all of the riding disciplines now, especially endurance and trail riders. Um, the biothane is a shiny um, poly material that is uh, a coating over nylon. So if you think about your nylon halter, essentially the coating is over that. So it's very strong and very durable. The coating has been improved over the years. Um, it's basically a PVC coating, but it's very durable. It's waterproof, easy to clean, um, molds to your horse. It's really a fabulous, uh, fabulous product. And um, that describes the biothane. That's the shiny material. Then they've come out now with the beta. Um, and the beta biothane is a matte finish material, which looks like leather. So it's um, much more desirable for the folks that are very traditional. So we do a lot of our tack in a brown or black, um, making it, you know, easy for dressage user, uh, uh, riders to use um, while they're training. And they can save their good leather tack for the show. And what kind of colors does this come in? Oh, it comes in a huge variety of colors anymore. Um, of course, black and brown. We have bright oranges. We have yellows, lime greens, turquoise, all shades of blue. Um, I think we have, oh, heck, I bet we have over 30 colors here um, at the Distance Depot. And Biothane has actually um, this year bio plastics, which is the genuine beta biothane that we use. Um, it's manufactured in the USA, which we really like. Um, they have come out with some new colors. So they have some 
fun camo colors, and they have some reflective colors, which are really great for safety. Um, we're using those products on, for instance, the neck collars um, that you use um, for your high tie. So we can mm-hmm. use those reflective colors for items like that for safety. And we're making now, we're making a stirrup cage. Um, many folks are probably um, aware that uh, Easy Care has, for instance, a cage that um, keeps your foot from slipping through. And now we can make the cages out of any of the great colors that Biothane comes in. So that makes it really fun. Right. And you, you mentioned the reflective um, yeah. stuff, which is, you know, really kind of neat. Um, tell us about that a little bit. So it has the Biothane um, colors, if you will, um, as the main color, and right down through the center of the color is actually a reflective strip, So, like you might see on running gear. So if you shine a flashlight or, um, you know, headlights or something like that, if you're mm-hmm. out riding at night, you'll be able to see, or if you're looking for your horse in his pen, I always, you know, when I'm sleeping in my camper, I'm always peeking out the window. Mm-hmm. You out there? <laughs> but you can see, you know, it will reflect. We also have a, a product that is in biothane, but we do offer it. It's a glow material. It has reflective properties. Um, it has no strength to it, so we only use it as an accent color, but it is really good for safety as well, riding at night and also um, the reflective properties and also the fact that it glows. It's just a, a glowing product that lasts for years and years which is really nice, too. Okay, and for writers that really want to customize their look with their colors, are you able to customize the tack to to meet their needs? Absolutely. I would say, oh, probably 95% of our orders are custom-made <laughs> orders. We have so many options. Um, of course, the colors. We, we prefer to use the beta material, which, uh, as I mentioned, is the matte finished material. It's a little thicker, so it comes in thicknesses, and it's comfortable for the horse to wear, whereas that biothane, the shiny biothane, only comes in one thickness. Of course, they come in different widths, but okay. it's very customizable. They can choose their colors um, with accent colors and so on, so it's a lot of fun for the riders that really like the colors. And, and what's the difference between having brass or stainless hardware? Well, I think brass is actually a bit softer. I've heard it's a softer metal. Mm-hmm. So folks are really concerned um, if a horse were to get into a situation that they wanted the hardware to break um, because, of course, we do want something to break if they mm-hmm. start to panic or, or get lost. And, you know, I've heard it over the years. Um, you know, you want something to break, and let's hope it is a piece of hardware. They do say the solid brass is a little bit softer as far as the metal properties go, but um, I like the stainless steel just for the e- ease of cleaning. You know, brass over time will tarnish. It's the mm-hmm. nature of the metal. But, um, again, it just depends on, on your situation and, and how, you know, how you're using this tech, too. If it's, um, you know... If you're not tying a lot in that sort of situation, I don't know. The stainless is very popular, but we make it both ways. We offer it with the brass or with the stainless. And if someone was interested in ordering, um, where how how would they get in touch with you? Well, they can visit our website, which is um, thedistancedepot.com, and or they may phone us uh, toll free eight six six 
863-2349. Our website does have a bunch of information that we've talked about today on the site. We also have a measuring video and measuring instructions if your horse is hard to fit. Um, so if you want to measure for us and provide us with measurements, we're happy to customize your tack that way as well. And what is the lead time usually when somebody places an order? Well, it's usually very quick. We do our best to get our orders out just as quickly as possible. Um, I've heard that we have one of the fastest turnarounds um, in, in the custom <laughs> custom tack uh, venue. We, um, we, uh-huh. we can typically get our tack out within a day, um, day or two of your order. So people are always amazed at how quickly they do receive their tack. I know you've always gotten my stuff really quickly, really fast. Yeah. So thank you. And and thank you again for being on the show. Well, thanks so much. And speaking of Distance Depot, I want to find out how everything went with your brand sparkling new and very attractive teal colored tack from the Distance Depot. Well, it is awesome. It's a kind of a newer color. It was introduced, I think, a, a year ago or so. And... I ended up getting a dog collar for one of my dogs in that color, and I really liked it. So then I got Bo a set of teal from the Distance Depot, and we used it at Tevis, and he looked just smashing in it, of course. And then I used it on Chiefy at the last ride, and I think Chief almost wears it better than Bo. He looks really good cool in it i get a lot of compliments now it's interesting that they can't wear they can't share boots but they can share tack um you mean like their hoof boots yeah. or no they can uh, shoot my boots are all mixed up are you kidding <laughs> i don't keep track of which boots go on which horse as long as i get the right size on a foot that's all i care about <laughs> yeah no they can share boots and they can share um you know, as long as things are clean, actually, both horses can share everything as long as it's clean, basically. Clean. Yes, but uh, and and but the tack does look really nice on a flea bitten gray horse. The yeah, teal beta does. does. Yeah. It looks looks really nice on him. Yeah. Well, I I hit up the Distance Depot recently too because I got a set of um, custom reins from them. Uh huh. Cool. And being an English rider. Because they can make the reins in English or all kinds uh-huh. of different styles because they're custom. Uh-huh. But I needed the extra long ones for Nigel the dinosaur. <laughs> and I love them. They are awesome. The bio thing, the beta that they use, beta is the man-made product that is matte. It looks like leather. is just so soft because I have some other tack that's made by some company that makes it in China somewhere. Um, and it's it's kind of crumbly and crunchy and it's not pleasant right. to hold in your hand at all and it's so soft it's just like having nice well-worn leather so yay, yes Kristen. the, the bait is great and it cleans up so nice easy peasy yeah everything yes. just washes right off yes and speaking of clean we've got <laughs> the, we've got the three musketeers coming us coming up here yes we do i was able to arrange an interview with all three of the first place finishers of the Mongol Derby this year. They finished together in a three-way tie. And we have Will Kamiski, who is from Australia, Heidi Telstad and Marsha Hefker, who are both from the United States. And they're both actually endurance riders already. And I think Will is uh, going to be doing one. Well, thank you all for joining us, Will, Heidi and Marsha. Good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. We're doing great. How are you? Really good. Well, let me just start. I want to go through with each one of you one at a time and find out why you wanted to do the Mongol Derby. So let's start with Heidi. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that means I have to go back to when I was laying in bed being lazy with a broken rib and punctured lung and trying to find uh, some more adventure into my life. So I found this and applied. <laughs> okay, well, how did you get the broken rib and punctured lung? Did it have to do with the horse? <laughs> of course it did. Um, I fell off my horse and it wasn't the fall. It was him jumping around and stepping on my back that caused it. Oh, no. And this made you want to go do the Mongol Derby? <laughs> I know. It, it must have been the painkillers I was on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And, and so what inspired you to actually go ahead and, and enter and go do this? Um, I really wanted to bring awareness to my charity, which is uh, the BC Epilepsy Society. And this seemed like a perfect combination, get adventure and awareness. Wow. Okay, Marcia, what about you? Oh, wow. Mine's not as dramatic as that, Heidi. <laughs> Um, I have been riding endurance for um, 16 years and I had moved up to doing uh, a number of hundred milers and I was getting uh, to the time in my life where I didn't want to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done that. And I've kind of been watching the Mongol Derby from the periphery for the last four or five years and thinking, hmm, I wonder if I really want to do that, number one. And then um, if I did, would I be able to survive? Because I was really afraid of not being able to eat the food and getting sick. And that was really holding me back more than anything. I was never really afraid of, you know, wild, untamed ponies or any of that. But um, last year, about this time, uh, I just had this feeling like, gosh, I just, I think it's time. And so I just threw in my application and um, got an interview. And before I could back out, I had been accepted. And so it just started this <laughs> whirlwind turn of events that um, landed us um, in Mongolia together. And, and uh, it, it was great. So glad I did it. Wow. How many Americans were there this year? What were there? I think there were 12. I think. Oh, okay. That was a pretty good turnout. Wow. Okay. Your turn, Will. Yeah. So I, um, I, just, I enjoy a bit of adrenaline, so I thought I had a few, <laughs> two friends do it before me in the two pre previous years. They had pretty good stories from it, and I thought it sounded pretty good. So uh, I was looking for a bit of a challenge, something mentally and pretty physically, just to see what I had. And uh, I thought this might be a good way to do it, yeah. And so tell us, what was the start like? The, the, very, first, was, uh, the very first time you got on one of those Mongolian horses and took off um uh, we'd, we'd ridden the horses before the actual start of the race so that was good just to get a little bit of a feel for what they were like they were very different um and then the start of the race well that was that was a pretty good adrenaline rush that was uh yeah everyone uh everyone all taking off at once so it was pretty entertaining Okay, well, let's go to Heidi. Heidi, what was one of the most exciting things that happened to you during the Mongol Derby this time? 
Um, I think one of the most exciting was getting one of their actual Nadam racehorses. And uh, these horses, you, you can't hold them back. They just want to run full out. If you try and hold them back, they lift their heads and then they're not looking at the ground. <laughs> so I let this horse have his head and he was dodging around all of these holes and I didn't bother steering him. I just let him go and hoped at some point uh, that he would slow down, but it was exciting and I had just the biggest smile on my face. Actually, for eight days straight, I don't think I've ever been happier. It was just such a good time. Well, then so, um, how it sounds like you had both of your hands kind of busy. <laughs> how did how, how did you follow the trail? Did, did... Uh, well, actually, I relied on Will a lot because he had a better uh, GPS than what I did. Um, I could bring mine out every once in a while when the horses were tired and uh, get a good look. But often uh, when you're letting horses go, you get a little bit off track. And uh, whether Will was yelling at me or I figured out that I needed to come back. Um, yeah, uh -huh. that was about how I did it. It was it was it was exciting. <laughs> Oh, and, and Marsha, we saw a photo of you on the internet when your horse was going kind of sideways, as for <laughs> you. Tell us about that. <laughs> yes, well, um, I, I think I know the one you're talking about. You know, um, here's the funny thing is I hit the dirt four times, and um, every what I can remember from each one of them is click, 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 because the photographers were right there to catch it all, frame by frame. And um, so that one that you're talking about in particular was when I had just bounced up on this horse. And um, as it turns out, he was one that didn't like pressure on the bit when you when you first get on. And this was like one of all of them. And, it's, and, you know, as he was fighting against the pressure of the handler holding him on the ground and me, he went up, fell back, fell with me down. And it wasn't a big thing. It, you know, they are ponies. They are small. It wasn't a long fall down. And... He just, I held onto the reins and he pulled me back up and I could hear all this chatter behind me and it was the herders speaking in Mongolian and I quickly yelling to the interpreter, what are they saying, what are they saying? They're saying, oh, you got to give him his head. Don't hold the rein tight. Don't hold the rein tight. And, and that's kind of a scary thing on these little things because most of them like to bolt when you first get on. So I was like, okay, I'm giving him his head and put my foot right back in the stirrup and swung up and gave him his head and the herder trotted with me a few steps and then handed me the lead line and off we went. And that horse was amazingly fast and so fun. And, and I think that was the case with most of these horses is that the, the mounting and getting on them was the, 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 the trickiest part, if you want to call it dangerous. It's just a little tricky because they're all, you know, semi-wild. And, and uh, so, you know, once you just got on and went, they were great. At least that's how it was for me. Wow. Okay. And I know you two ladies both have endurance experience. What about you, Will? Have you ever done endurance riding? No, I've never been in the endurance race before at all. No. All my riding's just been mustering in Australia and uh, <laughs> did a bit of show jumping when I was a kid and a bit of, bit of buck jumping riding when I was older. Okay. So have you given any thought to doing an endurance ride now after having done this? It'll probably seem really easy after doing the Mongol Derby. Yeah, so I've uh, I've come over to America. Actually, I got in yesterday to catch up with these guys and, and another girl, Courtney, from the race. And then uh, we're going to go do one in Utah in a couple of weeks. Oh, good, good. Um, Heidi, describe the food for us. What what did you guys eat? 
Um, actually, I was quite impressed. Uh, a lot of the families had prepared fresh food for us, which was rice and uh, mutton. And usually the vegetable of the day was potatoes. And uh, sometimes we would have uh, a pasta-type noodle with uh, mutton again and maybe a potato. And uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I had heard stories that you get so sick of it by the end of the race. But uh, the families, every little house or station was just a little bit different. So I survived quite well. Wow. And I see in these some of these pictures, you guys look like you're wearing winter clothing. What was the weather like, Marsha? Um, so it was uh, rainy at night, uh, a little chilly during the night. Um, and then during the day, it would be cool in the morning, warm up. You know, I don't know exactly how warm it got, but I would say that the hottest it ever got in the southern part of the country when we were the southern points of the ride, maybe in the 80s, mid 80s. Uh, but it just never was this horribly hot for a long, long time. Maybe maybe there was one day that I can remember it was hot, but the rest of the time seemed to be out, you know, had a nice breeze. And as we went further north, the temperatures kind of hung around in the 70s, I would guess. And you'll see us wearing our jackets and that because we usually start out to be cold in the morning and warm up midday and then we take it off. And then towards the end of the ride, it was raining um, during the days. And so we were um, keeping our rain jackets on to, because, um, you know, as it rained, it would be cool with the wind. And what was the footing like then when it rained? Well, it was muddy, but, you know, it never, never was so sloppy that it felt like um, it was horribly dangerous. Um, you know, in general, when they took us cross country, you really had to watch the ground. There are marmot holes everywhere. The eagles nested in the ground. Those were huge, huge holes. And um, the horses were so, so agile and so good about jumping holes and trying to miss them themselves. I was lucky enough that I never had one that, that um, you know, fell in a hole with me. You know, they'd, you'd feel a back foot kind of slip in every now and then. Um, but typically with holes, we, we did go over one section where the three of us on, um, I guess it must have been day seven. Um, yeah, right before he finished. Incredibly rocky. I have never had been on a horse and it flown over all this rock um, as fast as these horses went. All three of them were just going so fast over this rock. It was amazing. Wow. <clears throat> okay, Will, can you describe for us like an average ride day on the Derby for us? Like how many miles did you ride in a day? Yeah, so uh, the average ride day, we'd get up probably, I don't know, five o'clock or something, get everything ready and because we could start riding at seven, so you'd want to have your horse saddled and ready to go by seven. And um, if you camped out, you know you had to be to feed that horse out in the morning as well, so that took a fair bit of time. And then, uh, so once once we started riding, uh, it was it was just um, just just manage that horse, I suppose, you're riding, take it, use it to the best of its ability, and then uh, you'd come into a station. Do your changeover, collect a new horse uh, once you pass your vet check, and then um, and then go on again. So uh, most most days we were probably doing about four stations, so and they they're about anywhere from thirty to forty kilometres apart was was uh, the distance of those. So um, I think on the the best day we did when Marsha, Heidi, and I were riding together, uh, we did. Uh, 
we did five stations, which was uh, in one day, which was a really good leg. I think that was about two hundred odd kilometres. Wow, that's quite a distance. Heidi, describe what the vet checks were like. Um, depending on which horse you uh, rode, they could be a bit intense. You'd come into the vet check, and you'd really want to make sure your horse's pulse was down. And in endurance, our pulse rate uh, to get down to is usually 64 or 60. But for these horses, we had to get it down to 56. Mm-hmm. So uh, just before we crossed the line into the vet check, we would be measuring their pulse by putting our hand um, close to their heart and uh, measuring it on our watches and trying to get the best reading before we'd bring them in. So mm-hmm. the vets would check it, make sure they were down. They would check gut sounds. So you want to make sure that you were feeding and watering your horse uh, throughout that certain leg. And uh, they'd check for girth galls because you needed to make sure your girth was clean, even though you're going through horse after horse and it get quite muddy. So, uh, yeah, they checked everything. So it was really impressive that they wanted to ensure the health of the horse. And we did our absolute best to keep them healthy. What do the horses eat there? Um, They just ate whatever grass was on the ground. They don't give them any grain or anything extra like that. These animals are true um, grazing wild horses. Wow, cool. Uh, Okay, Marcia, tell us a little bit about the tack that you guys rode in. Sure, sure. So we were all assigned um, the same endurance saddle. It was a South African-made um, endurance saddle, pretty small uh, seat. It had um, kind of a wide twist. I was a little bit worried how where my sit bones were, were sitting on it. Um, I had had the fortunate experience of uh, riding one for about three months and that Lynn Gilbert had purchased after she had done the Mongol Derby. Um, she had purchased the same saddle. She sent it to me. It was really wonderful to be able to get used to it. Um, oh, the Derbyists themselves sent us this thing called a seat saver. It was like this padded seat saver that, or, that went over um, the seat. Our fellow writer, Courtney Kaiser, she actually was one of the 10 that actually got one of the new saddles. Um, we received a mailing saying, hey, the, they've got to um, order 10 new saddles. If you want one, um, we'll send, you, send it to you, and then you're responsible for bringing it to the Derby. Well, I was pretty smug thinking, oh, I've got to ride Lance. I already know what it feels like. And um, so I didn't even respond to that. Courtney got that saddle, and then she came to um, Amarillo to the Yano Escatado ride to do that endurance ride with me. And she brought it. I'm so glad she did because it was different. It was just enough different that it was like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. They've changed it since since Lynn's group rode. And so it had the opportunity to ride it. And so we we um, actually the skirt was is was really short and it was catching right under our thighs and it was really pinching. We um, had a saddle maker uh, actually make us a skirt. It was padded um, leather and um, w- was a larger skirt to go over the the seat. That we all we had to do was just screw it in, and um, and that held a lot. And then I put my seat saver on top of that. Um, they also issued us a. Uh, was kind of a canvas tube that they call the kit. It was like one solid tube that went behind the saddle. And that's where um, you, the majority of your kit went. Um, you'll hear about them talking about it's only being able to carry 11 pounds a year. Um, you could split that between your kit and your hydration pack or whatever you're wearing on you, but a lot of that was inside that. And that was another um, 
a trick that you had to get uh, good at, and that is getting your kit attached to your saddle very tightly. I mean, you need to have no motion whatsoever, so you're talking about it attached to the sides, but then it also needed to be strapped down so it would not bounce any way whatsoever. And I was lucky enough that um, Heidi and Will and Courtney, Maddie and Julie were all in our training group for two days prior to the start of the race. And we called ourselves the MacGyver crew because we were so focused on making sure that all of our gear was just right. And Will was so helpful in helping all of us make sure ours, that our kits were tied down super tight. And and um, th- there was a pommel pack that actually it, it uh, um, Velcroed onto the front. It was just a little bitty pack um, that you could, you know, throw your chapstick or, you know, quick things in. And that, that came with a saddle as well. And then... Um, Lastly, the the bridles. Every, you you were assigned a bridle, and it has um, this beautiful little embossed stamp um, leather tag on it with your name on it. And that bridle went with you to every single horse, and that went with you throughout the entire ride. Wow, Will, how did you keep your like your girth and your other um, tag items clean? Uh, well, we had nothing with us, so you just basically do the best you could. Um, there wasn't a great deal of water around, but whenever you go past Running Creek or something, or if you camp there, uh, you could wash your girth there. Um, and then normally you try and dry it if you could dry it. Was the only way was inside beside the fire at night. Um, yeah, and then just every year while horses over, so always making sure your saddle pad never went on the ground to keep all the grass off it, and then uh. Um, yeah, just just keeping everything brushed down and um, and uh, making making sure that there was going to be if there was going to be something that was a problem, we you just fix it before it uh, before it turned into a problem. Yeah. Did oh, you there? Did, yeah. Did you hear? I yeah. was just asking if you had any saddle sores your, on you. Uh, did I have any saddle sores on me? Yes. Um, yeah. Look, I was I rode in like uh, nylon uh, nylon blend jeans, and um, and I had skins underneath, and I was pretty good. I'd done a fair, fair bit of riding before the race, so that was I was pretty good, uh, pretty saddle, you know, used to the saddle, um, mm-hmm. well, a stock saddle, and then uh, but I did like, and I was wearing chapettes as well, so I rubbed a rubbed a, probably a twenty cent piece hole in one calf. And uh, and I did have a few dramas with the skins and that, you know. But um, so I changed between them. I took them off and wore the jeans and then put them back on and uh, whatever I had to do to keep going. Really, um, apart from that, no, the saddle sores weren't that big a problem for me. Oh, good, good. Well, Heidi, tell us a little bit about how you guys kept up with keeping yourselves and your riding clothing clean. <laughs> Clean. I don't know how clean we really did. I don't, I don't think clean was used a lot there. No. <laughs> um, I was wearing three uh, pairs of breeches, and on the first night, I had to get rid of one pair because um, it was raining so hard, and where we were camping out at was uh, a lot of cow manure and horse manure, and of course, when it rained, it got quite mucky and disgusting, so I left 
the pair of breeches that got really dirty there. <laughs> um, a couple times uh, when we had stops at one of the year twos or stations, um, we tried to wash our clothes just in the river and you don't really have much in the way of soap. And then we would hang them in the year two at night and try and keep the fires stocked. But uh, the next day you were just putting on wet, smelly clothes once again and it was difficult because it was cold in the morning and you're in soak and wet clothes and you just go. You just decide that you're going to forget anything that hurts or that smells or is disgusting. But at the end, <laughs> actually, I, I don't even remember smelling bad anymore. But you know, <laughs> I just got used to it. <laughs> you're making it sound like so much yeah. fun. I was used to you anyway. That that nose blind thing they talk about on that one TV commercial, I think that might have happened. <laughs> I think it did. Definitely. For sure. I don't know. Okay, okay, so let's finish up. Marsha, how did you guys end up coming in and finishing in a three-way tie together? <laughs> okay. Well, um, so throughout the race, um, there was about six or seven of us that um, were really pushing through the front. And for the most part, we're riding in pairs. And uh, Tatiana and Venetia, uh, Tatiana from Great Britain, Venetia from South Africa, they rode um, my name was a pair. Courtney Kaiser and I rode together as a pair. Will and Heidi rode as a pair. And it just kind of filtered out that way. Um, Shannon Knott, um, another great Australian writer, he was in the mix there. Um, and as things just kind of filtered out, then it was the six of us, the two pairs minus Shannon. And then um, on the seventh day, as um, uh, we all, again, there was more filtering uh, uh, due to other events. And it ended up where Courtney, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Courtney was back, um, had to serve a penalty. And then uh, Courtney, uh, Tatiana and Venetia had issues with um, one of Tatiana's horses. And so um, there Will and Heidi were um, with me up front pushing ahead. And we kept going. And it was, um, our, our horses would go better together. And you know, we kept studying the GPS and we figured out on day seven, there was no way that we were going to be able to get it to the finish, but we were going to be able to get it to or to 27, which was the last station before the end. And, um, we just talked about it that, um, you know, did we want to keep racing or we, we could tie, we could do this thing together. And we decided we'd, we'd like to do it together. And, um, I think it, it helped each of us out in that we didn't have to focus on trying to race each other, but yes, that we could still enjoy the last part of the ride. The next morning, um, the, the last day of the eighth day, um, got up, talked about it again. It's like, yep, this feels good. And um, jumped on those last three horses and just kind of trail rode in the last 20K and took selfies in the forest and laughed and joked and got to really um, look back on this journey and take a big, deep breath. And it was um I think we all agree it was just a beautiful way for us to finish as friends and as comrades and and to it was just the perfect ending for us for this great adventure. It sounds like it. Well, congratulations to all three of you. Would any of you go back and do this again? Not me. It may be too soon yeah. to ask that question. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, yeah. uh, if I went back to do it again, I'd really... I probably wouldn't uh, be so focused on racing. I'd love to get to uh, spend more time with the local families and uh, and and you know enjoy the whole ride a lot more because we were we were racing pretty hard. So that took that took a lot of the focus. So um, 
I think uh, that's that'd be what I'd focus on if I went back again. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah I don't feel I'm I'm kind of like Heidi. I don't feel like um, I would do it again just because I felt like I was so lucky. You know, I, you know, you saw pictures of those wrecks, and you know they were. It turned out to be pretty easy falls, but gosh, we all had good friends and fellow riders that um, had a lot of broken bones and a lot of major um, injuries that that we um, didn't. And I really came out unscathed, and I feel good about that. Um, and I enjoyed the challenge, and it, everything for me just worked out great. So I just don't think it could get any better than than how it turned out. Right. Good. Agreed. Okay. So, um, what happens if somebody does get hurt out there and gets a broken bone, Marcia? So, um, we carried spot trackers that, um, are satellite linked and there are two different, several different buttons, but one of the buttons is an SOS button. And, um, another one was a, um, you know, I need help whenever you can get to me. And, um, so you're going to, if you, if you're, conscious of course you'll hit that button um <laughs> and somebody will come to rescue you and and um there were two medical crews um out and and about and they would try to get to you as soon as they could um assess your injuries um there were people that were flown out that they, they brought a helicopter in to fly them to Ulaanbaatar uh, where their injuries were treated um and uh, i do know one fellow rider that was transferred on to hong kong uh first of their injuries uh, but i think my understanding is most people, if they weren't treated on scene or by the doctors that were in the medic group um, on scene, um, they were flown to Ulaanbaatar, and then those people were treated in the hospital there and then released. Wow. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah. Then, then Shannon, poor Shannon, I mean, he finished the race and that he just sent us an x-ray yesterday that that he has a compression fracture in his neck and is now in a neck, neck brace just because he wasn't feeling right and decided to get an x-ray of his own neck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Well, well, I think you guys had an epic adventure and, and now you formed a lot of long-term, I'm sure, friendships that are going to last the rest of your lives. I think that's great. So thank you all, Heidi, Will, and Marsha for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah, us. Thank you for having us. You did write about the friendships. That's good. It's the best thing to come away with from the race, I think. Absolutely. Well, gosh, that, that is such a fascinating ride. People have such interesting stories about it. And I love having the winners on every every year. And good get for you to get all three of them, Karen. I know. It works out really good. <laughs> Well, why don't we take a quick break for our song today? And today we're going to listen to, I thought this would be appropriate, The Horse Nobody Could Ride by Kristen Harris. Sure as the wind blows, each cowboy got thrown 
by the horse that nobody could ride. Then down out of Cheyenne came a quiet and shy man today to try something that no man had tried. He sat down in the warm sun a hundred yards away from the horse nobody could Kristen Harris with The Horse Nobody Could Ride. You can find her music on iTunes and CD Baby Baby, and lots of other places. And if you can't remember any of that, you can just go to horsesinthemorning.com to episode 1518, and we will have a link to her website right there. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network, the monthly endurance ride, which happens the second Tuesday of every month with Karen Chatton. And today's episode is brought to you in part by Renegade Hoof Boots. And you can find them online where, Karen? At renegadehoofboots.com. And as mentioned earlier, Karen loves her Renegade Hoof Boots, whether they are brand sparkling new, whether they match colors or not, as long as it's the right size for her horse. <laughs> you know, when I get the most notices of the boots is when I have four different colors on. <laughs> I bet you do. It's it's hilarious. It's 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 funny. It's fun though, you know. Um, but if I have all matching boots, it's like nobody really notices. But if they don't match, that's when people notice. Well, think about this: when you see someone walking down the street, if their <laughs> if their sneakers match left and right foot, you don't notice, do you? No, probably not. See. No, you're right. <laughs> Well, it looks like we've got our next com- guest coming up here. Deb, uh, Karen, tell us who we're going to be talking to. Uh, we're going to be talking to Debbie Willis, who is a crew extraordinaire. Debbie has been crewing for decades for some of the top writers and for some of the regular writers, kind of like me, um, many, many rides. She loves crewing the 100-mile rides, and she's really, really good at it. And so she's going to, um, we're going to talk to her right now and have her um, explain a little bit about what crewing entails and how to do it. Good morning, Debbie. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Karen. How are you? Good. Well, you are somebody, one of the unsung heroes of endurance that crews 
for the riders and horses on the rides, especially some of the 100-mile rides in our area, and you're really darn good at it. So I wanted to have you on and have you tell us a little bit about crewing and what is involved with that. So start out telling us some of the items you need to have to go crew at a vet check for a horse and a rider. Okay, first I make sure I've got buckets for water, a bucket for sponging a sponge, any grain or mixes that the rider might want for the horse. If I don't know the horse, if I know the horse, I already know what to take. Uh, Anything that they would want to eat, give them a smorgasbord so they eat whatever, so they eat. And uh, my stethoscope and ice boots and just... uh, Anything that would make, I usually go for the horse. I do have stuff for the rider, but I have somebody else take care of that. But uh, I just go prepared to make sure that horse is in top condition. So stuff also like chairs and blankets and some Uh, of those. Coolers, chairs, brushes. So I'm, I'm I'm the endurance neophyte here. So I, I listened to that little list and said, well, pff, crewing must be a, zi- a cinch. That doesn't sound like much stuff. You're really oversimplifying this, I think. Um, when you go in and you go into a vet check, take me through what actually happens step by step. Okay, as the rider's approaching the vet check, I'm usually there to take the horse, go straight to water, let him, if they're going to drink, they're going to drink. Check them with my stethoscope for the pulse and respiration part of it. If the horse is down, which is usually criteria, is usually 60, then we go straight to the vet. Where we get the PNR, what we call the pulse and respiration. Once we're at 60, they call out our time. Then we go, either we go back to our campsite if we have, you know, any kind of little issues we need to change or maybe look at something before we go to the vet. Then we usually go straight to the vet, and we trot out about, oh, I don't know, 20 yards, turn around, come back, and the horse is checked for soundness. Um, Any kind of sores that might be hurting them, um, back soreness, gut sounds, uh, respiration, uh, uh, we check the gum color for hydration along with pinching the skin. And if all that's good, then the vet signs us off on the card. We go back. We hang out. They they range from 25 to an hour. It's usually an hour when you have 100 miles. And just make sure the horse eats. Make sure your rider eats or you're going to have a problem there. And uh, just hang out and wait until it's time to go. Usually tack back up. This is all done after we take the tack off. And then... uh, we start tacking up about 15 minutes before we're set to go out. And then once that time is time for us to go, then we go to the out check. She makes sure we're at the right time and then lets us go for the next loop or wherever we're going. And so how far in advance do you like to get to a vet check to set up? I leave as soon as, if it's an out check, I leave as soon as the horses leave in the morning. I'll go out there, I'll get set up. So then that way... I'm like pretty much know the horses that I'm crewing for. So, you know, I know pretty much where they're at and what time they should be coming in. And I'll either have their masters soaking if they want it wet, have a couple of horses that like it dry. 
And um, so, but if it's a vet, if it's where we vet in the base camp, where, we're, where we all camp, then as soon as the horses leave, I clean up camp and I get everything ready so the horses are ready or in case I have to jump in and help somebody else somewhere, I know my horses are already ready to go. And so ex- go through the process of explaining what you do to set up at an outfit check. Okay, we get, we, once we get out there, we pick a spot that's got shade. Good hopefully. point. <laughs> shade is good, <laughs> especially hopefully. when it's hot. Yes, yeah, shade, shade is good. We get some chairs set up for the riders and possibly me, the crew, or whoever's there. Uh, I get water hauled into where we're at. Sometimes we have to truck it a ways in. Sometimes we're lucky enough to get real close to the bathrooms and the water, get water to the site, get hay laid out, get the different uh, supplements and grains and mashes ready to go. So all we have to do is add water to it, get my saddle stand up. So when we take the tack and everything off, it goes right on the saddle stand. If we don't have a saddle stand, we use a tarp thrown on the ground just to keep the dirt and the foxtails and everything or sticks out of the blanket. Because you put that back on your horse and it's stabbing it, you're not going to have a good ride. <laughs> and right. uh, that's pretty much about it. And then just wait for him to come in and help where he needed. And what do you do at the finish line? Scream and yell, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep? Because uh, <laughs> you're tired? <laughs> uh, yay, so, it's time to go to sleep. Uh, I usually have a bucket of water. I will strip the tack immediately, throw a cooler on them, drop the bit out of their mouth, pull just about anything off we can get off, depending on where we have to go. Like at Virginia City, I'll do that right, you know, at the finish line. And then they still have to go through town to vet. But we'll walk in unless there's a tight lead, you know, for trying to race. If it's there in camp, we do basically the same thing. Just pull the tack at the finish line, get them blanketed and keep them moving so we could get to the vet and get a completion. And do you have any tips or, or suggestions for trying to get a horse to drink or, or you know, say you're in a vet check and the horse is just not showing any real interest? Do you have any little secrets that you could share with us? I don't know if she's allowed to tell us. That might be, you know, I know, I know of espionage. <laughs> I put salt in their lips and in I, their gums. And within a few minutes, they're drinking. Oh, that's interesting. Just rub it right on, right in their in their mouth, huh? Yep, right up on the upper lip and the lower lip. And within a few minutes, they're like, "Okay, I'll drink." Interesting. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's good. She's good. I know. Why didn't Why didn't somebody else think of that about a hundred years ago? Well, Debbie did. And if you got a horse, <laughs> if you don't want you. you <laughs> So, I'm approaching a hundred. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> so, Debbie, typically yep. at a at a ride, how many horses would you crew for at at one ride? Typically, probably three to four. And three to four horse. I know three to, four, three to four horses just in my camp, and then, but I can jump in and cruise. Now, I I've, I've crewed like six or seven horses in one ride. So I know in some sports. The when things happen is very closely timed. So whenever you're crewing, if you're going to crew for three horses in a ride, um, can it can it get tricky to be in basically two places at once? Because if you have one horse that's 
way in the front and he's at a, at a check and there's another horse that's way, way, way behind. Could that first horse get to the next check before the next horse got to the previous check? Is there some kind of a, a scheduling yes. thing that you really have to watch out for? Yes, that's very true because if you're uh, at your out check that they're not at base camp and they're out alongside the trail somewhere, you got to make sure if you've got horses running like that, and at times we do, you got to make sure you have enough crew members so you can have one at one spot waiting for the horses to come in and one at the other spot waiting for the horse to get there that's already come into one check and gone. That sounds dicey. But usually if I'm by myself, I usually have horses that are going to be all running together, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky because then the riders will help. Wow. Or Debbie's grandkids. She puts them to work, too. Hey, that's yes, a good idea. my grandkids. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes, I got two nine- and ten-year-old little girls that know if I tell them to go do something, they know right where to go and what to do. Wow. She's, she's now, got yes. them trained. Yep. Are, are crew persons typically adults, typically kids, or is it across the board and, and kind of random? I, it doesn't really matter to me as long as they're kind of got some horse common sense. It's really <laughs> tough when you have somebody come along that doesn't know exactly what they're doing around horses because then they're paranoid to walk by them because they don't know if they're going to kick or bite or whatever. And it's like, no, no, you're going to get them to bite then. <clears throat> so that's the hardest part is when you've got somebody that comes along that doesn't know what they're doing that thought they could handle the tennis. <laughs> so if, if somebody were interested in doing crewing what's a good way to to and let's say that they have limited experience with horses they have horses they understand what horses are but maybe limited experience they're not a particularly experienced horse person how's a good way to get started doing it i would call the aerc office they're the ones that govern and sanction all these rides and everything it's American Endurance Riders Conference. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's the top people. I would call them because then they can give you somebody in their in your area, uh, somebody that would be able to have the time to you know to bring you up to what's going on when you're out there. Hopefully, before you would go to a ride. Um, but that's what I'd do. I'd call AERC. Now, Debbie, I know you sometimes your kids, grandkids ride, what do you do or do you do anything different for them since they're still so young? Do they need additional help over, you know, the adult riders? Um, not really mine have it. I've had a couple of juniors that, that, uh, they stick right up in there with the, with the adults and they actually eat better at vet checks than the adults do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're usually better at, uh, well, you know, like my grandkids, I got to get in and help them with the horses because they're starving. And it's like, I'd rather have them starving and me deal with the horses than having a sick kid at 35 miles or something because they didn't eat. Right. But some of the older kids that have gone with us because we've had some later teenagers, they can get their horse where their horse needs to be. And then they get, they they sometimes argue about eating. They're not hungry, but then when they find out that I'm not going to let them quit and trailer in, uh, they would still <laughs> eat the next time. <laughs> I have done it before on a 75. I wouldn't let the girl, she wanted to just pull, and I said, nope, sorry. Horse is fine. Down, you have to rest. 
the horse is fine. It can pack you in the next 15 miles. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So you got a few horses lined up to crew for it at the Virginia City 100 coming up? Yes, I do. Well, good. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Gerhardt. Huh? I said good. So you've got yep, Andrew, Andrew and, and some others. Andrew Gerhardt's for sure. If Jim Mouthers finds a horse to get on, then, of course, I'll, I'll crew for him and then anybody else along the way that needs me. Well, I'll, hopefully I'll see you there. I'm hoping... I guess I need to get my entry in pretty quick. Yeah, that's the first step. I even yeah. I know that. <sighs> I know, yeah. but then, but that kind of means I'm committed, and then I'm I have to start thinking that I'm going to be, you know, riding a hundred all night long. You know. Well, then maybe Bo won't tear up your barn. <laughs> he won't. He won't care if what. He won't tear up your maybe barn. Maybe Bo won't oh, tear up tear your up barn. barn. That's right. Bo yes, gets he, bored. He yes, he's he does. Rain gutters mm-hmm. off this yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Even after he does 100. <laughs> yes. Even yeah. after doing a tough ride, it takes him like three days and he's back to being, you know, um, yep. You know, the demantler of the barn. Yes. yes. All right. I have one too, Karen. I have one too. <laughs> Every barn has to have one who just takes things apart. Yeah. I know. And that's mine. There you go. I have one at my barn. Okay, so so what's your favorite yeah. ride to crew, Debbie? Virginia City 100. Why is that? It I don't know. It's just everything goes so smooth. I always see all my friends, and it's just fun. I wow. just love bebopping around. Plus, we're in Virginia City and the wild horses. And so how long have you been crewing for people? Since 95. Oh. 1995, I started crewing for Chris, Tom Kristoff and Chuck Mathers. What are some of the things that have changed since you started crewing? Some of the 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 techniques, some of the tools that have changed since you first started crewing. Oh, they're just everybody has a trick. Everybody's got something different, and and like with the Tevis, there's a lot more stress on the Tevis than there was 20 years ago. I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's what I've seen change. But other than that, it's just, you know, everybody's got their little trick trying to, you know, make sure their horse comes down, make sure everything's good. More easy boots. (laughs) Yep. More boots and and more more gadgets. Everybody has a lot more gadgets. Yep. 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 Yeah. And the vets check more things now than they used to. Yes. Yes, they <laughs> check more. Yeah. Now, have you ever done an endurance ride? No, not me. Uh, and- oh, I've never, I've never had the desire to cruise that fast on a horse for X amount of miles. But I just, I enjoy being on the ground when they come in. And helping them out. I like the <laughs> Sunday stroll. I like the Sunday stroll down the down the trail. I'm not cool. one of them fast riders, but I have some ailing parts in my old body now. <laughs> Don't we all? How many horses do you have of your own? Seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they and they, ra- and they range from two years to 27. See, she knows how to take care of horses, Jennifer. That's I'm right. They now. last a good long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the kids are still riding. The kids are still riding the 27-year-old. In fact, they're going to, 
I'm bumping up their um, their lessons on how to handle their horses and everything with a tad, tad of dressage being thrown in there. They start this weekend, and one's taking the 27-year-old, and then Kaylee, the one that's been riding, I've been doing endurance. She's taken her 19-year-old uh, retired endurance mare. Oh, good. Just to learn, just to learn more control on the horse from above. I I want to see the first time um, dressage happens on a seasoned endurance horse. That could be interesting. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what I said. We'll see how she likes to do that when she likes to just go down the trail. Yeah, yeah. But you need to. We'll yeah, she's going to learn all about tactfulness. My twenty, there. my twenty-seven year old is a top five endurance mare in the arena, so she probably will. Be like, God, I have to do this again. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, yeah, Debbie, kind of. Re- Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to thank you for uh, joining us today and tell you how much we oh. all appreciate having you at the rides, helping. Sure, thank you. It's fun. Thank you guys for wanting to continue to ride. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll be. I'll be rethinking that probably about three a.m. on on like. September, whatever, 21st or 3rd, <laughs> whatever the day is of BC why 100. Am I, why am I doing this? Why am I doing the this? Is, yeah. The start is what gets that ride. The, the, yeah. That ride being, the start of that ride is the best in Virginia City when we start in the middle of town in the dark with right. a police escort through town. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cool. Cool. Well, yeah, well, that's, th- that, that's pretty fun. Well, thanks again, Debbie, and I'll see you soon. Now, I have four million more questions for Debbie, so we'll have to have her on again or some other crew crew person because I just find that whole thing fascinating, that part of it. So in the meantime, we need to tell everybody where they can find more information about upcoming rides. Um, They can go to AERC.org, and there's a lot of information on there. There's a lot of educational links, which they can go look at if they want to learn about crewing or riding. There's a ride calendar, so they can look up uh, rides online for their region, you know, uh, or they're part of the country and find a ride. Uh, that's a great way to get started in the sport. You can go look up a ride. Again, it's aerc.org and uh, contact. All the contact information is on there for the ride managers. Get in contact with one of them and ask if you can, you know, come and help or come and watch. Also contact, like Debbie had mentioned, the AERC office and they can help you. They can help help you find a mentor or somebody that can um, give you further direction that's close to you. Either, you know, you can find somebody online that can help you or that's, you know, nearby close to you, you know, for learning about crewing, really the best way is to find somebody like Debbie and, you know, become her buddy and follow her around and, and watch and learn. There you go. And if you're working with Debbie, be prepared to eat your granola bar when you are told. Be prepared to do everything when you're told if you're with Debbie. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. We're, we're, we're fresh running short on time now. So we're going to wrap things up. And you can find links to today's guests at horsesinthemorning.com. Just go to episode 1518 for September the 13th. And you can follow Horses in the Morning on the Facebook. We do a lot of chatting even during the show on there. Just go to Facebook and search for Horses in the Morning. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Horse Radio. And you can have every one of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or Android. 
You can go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Or you can subscribe via iTunes and don't miss anything. And thank you once again to Renegade Hoof Boots for helping to support this show as well as our auditors. You can become an auditor by going to horsesinthemorning.com and clicking on the auditor banner. Check it out for as little as a buck a month. You can qualify for auditors only perks. And Karen, what are you up to till we see you again next month? Do you have any rides in between? Uh, possibly the Virginia City 100. Ah, you must enter. So we have more things to talk about. I know. And, and hopefully we'll have the AERC National Championship to talk about next month as well. And, um... and the AERC boxing match. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no more of that. No, everybody just chill out. Everybody's going to be fine. <laughs> everybody's going to be fine. All right. You see you next month, Karen. See and everybody else, month. we'll see you tomorrow.